Welcome to Southridge. We're glad that you are here. We're looking forward to a great service. We have kicked off a new series entitled Christian, and um, we're excited to see what the Lord's going to do through this series. It's just a five-week series, but I believe it's going to be impactful in so many ways. And last week was just a tremendous start to the series, and I'm looking forward to seeing what happens today. If you're a guest with us, we're honored and glad that you would be here. Welcome to the theater. Welcome to Theater Church. Glad that you're here. Hopefully you grabbed a worship guide on your way in and some coffee and a donut because I, I don't know if it was like one of those mornings for you, but it was definitely one of those mornings for me where one cup just isn't quite enough. So we're glad that you are here. Looking forward to see what uh, uh, God is going to speak to us this morning. Well, why don't we do this? Can we stand out of honor and respect for the Word of God? It's kind of our custom. Uh, I know that we're meeting in a theater. We're somewhat kind of modern, not really. But one of the things that we like to do is hearken back to uh, days gone by, in a sense. And um, it's customary and uh, the long time ago that we stand for the word of God. And I think as we, as we kind of trend with uh, the newer trends that we also need to remember that there are some things that are just good to have some history behind them. And we stand for so much, but do we stand for the word of God? And so around here, we do something and we, we still stand in honor for the word of God. And, uh, and I hope you don't mind. We won't be long. We're going to meet, uh, we're going to read a very familiar passage of scripture. This passage, I've almost I'm almost intimidated, not really intimidated, but just kind of apprehensive about preaching out of John chapter number three, because this is like the Christian verse. I mean, out of all the scriptures, like John three sixteen is like the verse, right? Like everybody knows John three sixteen. So if I screw this one up, it's like, you just can't preach, man. Like if you can't preach John three sixteen, like hopefully you can flip burgers, maybe sell cars, maybe there's something else you could do. So uh, just... Uh, please bear with me as we dive into this message. But then also, don't tune it out because I'm afraid you think John 3.16 and you're thinking, oh, I know where he's going with this. So I'm good. I'm cool. So uh, I, I didn't get a lot of sleep. So when we sit down, I'm just going to kind of lean back and put my sunglasses on and just act like I'm watching. And really, I'm just kind of getting that nap that I miss or something. Please don't do that because I believe there's so much to this passage. And so we're going to dive into it. John chapter number three. If you have your Bibles, you can open them there. If you don't, you're going to hell. No, I'm just kidding. You're not. You're not. You're really not. Some of you are like, what? This is a crazy church. Some of you just need to wake up, all right? It, it's okay. We're in, we're in the theater. It's all right. You, you're not going to hell if you don't have your Bible. It, it really is okay, all right? Um, you may not go to heaven, but you're not going to go to hell. No, I'm sorry. I just, I'm on a roll this morning, okay? You guys just got to go. You just got to roll with it, okay? All right, John 3.16. It'll be up on the screen. It'll be in your worship guide. And I got it on my iPad, all right? And it just moved on me. So let me see. Here, let me pull this up, all right? John chapter number three, verse number one. There was a man of the Pharisee named Nicodemus. Last week we met Simon the Pharisee. This week we're meeting Nicodemus the Pharisee. And the Bible says that he is a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night. And sometimes I think Nicodemus gets a bad rap. Like everybody thinks, well, Nicodemus came to Jesus by night because he didn't want anybody to know that he was going to be a Christian. So he came to Jesus by night because he was a coward. And I think that's kind of messed up. I mean, we, we cast so much judgment on this guy. And I'm like, maybe that's not what happened. Maybe it's because there was all these people crowded around Jesus. And if you had a really important question that you needed to get answered from Jesus, don't you think coming where nobody's around him is advantageous? 
I kind of think so. I think it's just kind of smart. So some people think, well, no, 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 no. He just didn't want anybody to know that he wanted to become a Christian. And that's maybe half of it, but that's not the whole part of it. Part of the thing is where there's crowds, he just wanted to avoid the crowd, okay? He's just kind of smart. Some of you go shopping early in the morning. You don't like crowds. How many of you just don't like crowds? How many of you? You're like that. See, you... You already identify with Nicodemus. You don't like crowds, all right? That's why you come to the theater church in the morning, and you're the person that gets that parking spot right by Cheesecake Factory. It's like a coveted spot. Nobody else can park there. You got there. And I know some of you are thinking, does he ever preach? Is he going to get to the message? Like, what is he doing? You know, Don't worry. We're going to get there. It may take me a little while, but we will get there, okay? And then the Bible says, verse number two, the same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these things that thou doest except God be with him. Did you catch it? He said, we, are, we know that you are a teacher come from God. Not that you are God. Not that Jesus Christ is God, son of God. He's saying, no, no, no. We know that you're just from him, just like another prophet, okay? So notice verse number three. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it will, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but cannot tell where it came from and whether it, whither it is going. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Verse 10, Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel? And knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do not know, and testify that we have seen, and you receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things, and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And can we say, Verse 16, together, out loud, if we will, ready, begin. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have ever lasting life. And before you sit down, I want to uh, have you touch your neighbor and say, hey, have you had the DTR talk? Touch your neighbor and say, have you had the DTR talk? Have you had the DTR talk? And once you've done that, you may be seated. You're saying, what in the world is the DTR talk? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to help you out this morning as we dive into this message. But just got to back up a little bit. We're going through a series entitled Christian. Last week we said that there's a lot of confusion about what a Christian is. Because why? The term is very broad, isn't it? Matter of fact, it's only mentioned three times in Scripture. And it's never defined in Scripture what a Christian is. So the term is very broad, open to lots of debate. And so we have a lot of people that they look at Jesus and they say, I love Jesus. Jesus is awesome. Jesus is great. I just can't stand Christians. Why? Because we're so, it's so broad. There's a lot of people that'll do stuff in the name of Christ that isn't very Christian. There's a lot of people who do some terrible things. We can go out throughout history and see all the people that they were named in the name of Jesus as they went and committed their horrible act. So we see that, hey, Christian is not the term we hearken back to. We hearken back to something else. What Jesus called us. 
He called us disciples. Now, a disciple is a learner, a follower. That is very easy to define. Someone who learns and studies, a pupil of Jesus. And this is what Jesus said in John 13. He said, for, uh, uh, he, he said that, hey, you will know my disciples. By the way, they have love one for another. You know my disciples. And so that's where we hearken back to. Something very defined, something very definite. And so last week, we said it's more than a label. It's more than a label. This week... We want to have the DTR talk. And I know what you're thinking. What in the world is the DTR talk? And let me give you a little illustration, all right? Because it needs some defining. Because DTR stands for define the relationship. That's what it stands for. Define the relationship. Now, what I mean by the DTR talk is some of you that are in a relationship right now, you've had this. Those of you that are married, you came to that point. I remember when it happened for Jane and I, we were outside of our college campus and we had just both gotten a coffee and uh, we had known each other. We've gone on a couple dates and um, I was the one, normally sometimes it's kind of the girl who's kind of like, hey, so what are we? Uh, Are we friends? Are we more than friends? Where is this going? That's the define the relationship talk. And for some guys, as soon as they even hear somebody starting to mention that, like, you know, they start picking out uh, uh, baby names. You're like, wait, hold hold on, you know, let's let's back this up. So there's that define the relationship. Well, for me, I wanted to have that with Jane. I didn't want to waste my time. I didn't want to spend my wheels. I didn't want to just, so I was like, hey, we're going to have this talk. You know, we've, we've been talking for about six months. I don't want to just waste your time. Don't want to waste my time. And so I asked her this question, hey, uh, do you like me? And here, I kid you not, here's what she said. I don't dislike you. (laughs) What? Who says that? Who does that? And I was like, you got to be kidding me. I like you, but you don't dislike me. I bet you there's a lot of people that don't dislike me. I was like, that's not giving me a whole lot to go on. And so from there, I proceeded to push it a little bit further. And then she said, hey, look, honestly, here's the deal. She's very old school. She never dated. I'm the only person she had ever dated. And so she talked a lot with her parents. And her parents were like, hey, you know what? You haven't dated. And uh, we're really kind of, you're in college. We want you to focus on school. We want you to kind of make that your priority. And I was like, who does that? It's college. You're supposed to date single, mingle, you know, that kind of stuff. No, not school. And she was all focused on school, which I didn't get, you know. I was just there to find somebody. And she was like, no, 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 no. My parents said, and this is where, kind of, not that I don't like you. It's just kind of this in-between. She said, but you and I can't talk for a year. I said, what? A year? She was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you really love me, if you really do like me, a year from now, we'll come back, we'll meet up. And I was like, are you kidding me? This is like some sick joke. I think I saw this on like serendipity, some movie. Like, are you for real right now? And she was like, absolutely. Like, I'm Filipino. We don't mess around. Look at this face. You know, we're serious, you know? And so she was, she was gung ho, like, Hey, no, 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 we're not going to talk. And I kid you not for nine months, for nine months, we did not have a conversation for nine months. She said, how did you guys end up together? Smoke signals, get that airplane to write stuff in the sky. I mean, we got really creative, all right? We figured out some other ways to communicate, you know, telegram and all that. We just got really creative. But there's that define the relationship. There comes that moment you need to define the relationship. Now, I want you to go in with me in your mind. And I want you to sit down, in a sense, in a coffee shop. And I want you to imagine that you're having coffee with Jesus. And some of you are like... Okay, and just go with me for a second. This makes sense. Just a minute. You're sitting there. 
And all of a sudden, Jesus looks across the table from you and says, where's the relationship? What is this relationship? Is this always just going to stay a casual friendship? What is this relationship going to be? Is this relationship ever going to go more than just, hey, you show up every once in a while on a Sunday. You may throw a buck or two in the offering. Uh, you may pray over, like, holiday meals. Where's the relationship? And for some of you, immediately, if you were to have that conversation face-to-face with Jesus, you would start to blush. You would start to pull back. You would start to make an excuse. Because it's very important for every believer to have the DTR talk. That we define the relationship. You see, there's a lot of confusion, not only uh, uh, what is a Christian, but there's a lot of confusion on how you become a Christian. And you can't have it without the DTR talk. Without the, hey, where's the moment where you said, I'm going to define the relationship? Because everybody loves this. Hey, we're just kind of in this no man's land. There's, there's really no strings. It's just kind of, uh, Jesus is cool with me, and I'm tight with him, and we see each other, and I'm called like a creaster. That's a Christmas and Easter Christian, creaster. And that's kind of when I show up, and I'm just kind of there, and I, eh, every once in a while I might, I might show up for a baptism service. I might show up then, but, but, but it needs to go beyond that. And so here Jesus is going to have a DTR talk with Nicodemus. Because Nicodemus is, and you can write this down, is interested. Number one, he is interested. He's come to Jesus by night. He has some questions for him. He gets some alone time with Jesus. And Jesus is going to take this question that he has, and Jesus is going to flip it on its head and say, no, 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 I want to take this deeper. Because you're not here by accident. Jesus is saying, hey, right now, in this moment, I don't just want to have another meeting with you. I want to define the relationship. I want to know where we're going. I want some definite, concrete direction, not just a ethereal relationship like, hey, yeah, I know Jesus and I'm okay with Jesus. But no, no, no. Where is the relationship right now? Is it existent, non-existent? Or are you just kind of a fan of Jesus but not a follower of Jesus? Like, you like Jesus, you're cool with Jesus, he's all right, but you're not really a disciple. You're kind of like a Nicodemus, you're just kind of, I'm just kind of on the outside, I'm interested. I'm interested. And here's what Jesus said for him. And here's what's, what's amazing in verse number two. The Bible says, The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these things that thou doest except God be with him. Here's what attracted Nicodemus to Jesus. Is he's seen Jesus do these miracles. He's saying, hey, look, I was there. I'm a religious leader. I was there when you healed that blind Bartimaeus and he was walking around. I saw you do that. I was there when you fed the 5,000. Hey, I heard about at that story when you were in uh, uh, Jericho and you raised that boy up from the dead. I heard about that. And he's seeing all the works. He's seeing all the miracles. And he's seeing all this stuff happen. But he's not experiencing any of it. And I think sometimes we have a lot of people who think they're a Christian. And they're seeing everybody else's life get touched and things happen and God working. And then in their own heart, they're thinking, how come I don't see any of it? Because you're on the outside looking in. And you're not experiencing it. Because a lot of people think they're a Christian. Because right now, We've relegated Christian down to nothing more than just a person that is a good person. Just about everybody will say they're a Christian. But they've never had the DTR talk. They've never really defined the relationship. They've never really had this encounter with Jesus Christ where they say, wait a minute, I must be born again. 
There's only one way. John 14, 6. But Jesus said unto them, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. There's only one way. And he's going to constantly point to himself in this passage. Here is Nicodemus, and he's wanting to get some uh, information, and he's wanting to become closer, and he thinks he's spiritual, and he thinks he's right. He is a ruler of the Jews. History tells us that Nicodemus was very wealthy. History tells us that Nicodemus was very influential. History tells us this, one of the richest people in the city at that time. And here he comes to Jesus, thinking he's got it all together. He's a Pharisee. He's arrived in the social status and just everything that he could be he had made it but guess what he thought he knew but he didn't know he thought he knew that he was but he wasn't and i'm afraid that i think some of you think you know but you don't know you think you know what it takes to be a christian but you don't know because you've left something out you think because showing up here that makes you a christian you think because somebody dunked some water on you that made you a christian You think that maybe it was that one time I went to church that one time, or maybe it was that person, they put a hand on me. Maybe that was what it was. And you missed it. That's not what it was. And we're going to go full circle with this. We're going to go full circle with how do you become a born-again Christian because this is where Nicodemus was very confused. And I think if Nicodemus, somebody who is very smart, very intellectual, very influential, was mixed up, I think so you and I can be. But he was interested. And I love this. He was interested. And then number two, Jesus gave an invitation. He said, you're interested. Let me invite you in on this thing. Let me invite you in. You see, I want you to understand, Christianity, following Jesus, is not an exclusive club. I want to put a sign on the door that says, no perfect people allowed. That's Christianity. No perfect people allowed. So if you think you've got it all together, you think you're so perfect, you think your life is great, and you think you've got no problems, and you just think everything about you is awesome, guess what? This is probably not the church for you. Because Christianity is for anybody who says, hey, I want to follow Jesus, broken or not, uh, sinful or not. They're saying, hey, I'm going to come and I'm going to lay it down at the foot of the cross. That is Christianity. The invitation is open to all. And so if you think, hey, no, no, I'm too good for this, I'm too, I'm whatever, then that's fine. But Jesus says, hey, there's an open invitation for you. And here's what Jesus said. You see, he asked this question. He says, we know you've come from God. And he says in verse number three. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He goes right back to salvation. He comes to this very crucial and important point. I want you to understand, though, Jesus is inviting Nicodemus in on this. And you and I are to be inviting people in on Christianity, to invite people in. And I'm afraid too often we as a church, we are too exclusive. We say, no, no, this is my holy huddle. I kind of like the size of this church. It's just perfect because this church meets all of my needs. And this church is there for my birthday. And this church is there for my baby shower. And this church is there at my this and that. And they serve me. If we get any bigger, they may not be able to serve me. And so you get selfish and self-centered. And this whole thing just revolves around you. And it doesn't. We exist for those that are outside of the church. We gather to scatter. Okay? So we are to be about the business of inviting people. I was sharing this morning the VIP meeting. We call it making a 
home run. First base, you come to church. Second base, you join a growth group. Third base is you get start serving. Fourth base, when you make a home run, is when you invite somebody else on the journey with you. It's not enough just to say, hey, I'm going to be a Christian all by myself. It's something where we're inviting others in on this. But for too long, you know what we've done? We've emphasized imposing Christian values on people instead of inviting them to become followers of Jesus. We've said, you're a Christian by what you wear, how much you give, what you do, you're a Christian. Slap a label, give him a certificate, he's a Christian now. And nothing could be farther from the truth. Because a Christian has nothing to do with what you wear, has nothing to do with how much you give, has nothing to do with what you do. That's not Christianity. And for too long, we've said, that's what makes a good Christian. And that's not it. And so what we've done is people have borrowed Christianity and they've never really had it. Personal testimony for years. I grew up in a pastor's home. My dad preached for years. I even got baptized, and I remember getting baptized. They gave me a certificate. I remember my dad dunked me in the water. He was in Morgan Hill, California, right off a of hail. I remember the church. I remember the time. I remember all the details. But when I was 14 years old, all of a sudden, I remember, wait a minute. I don't ever remember before the baptism service asking Jesus into my heart. I don't remember ever having a DTR talk, defining the relationship, saying, hey, Jesus, where are you and I at? Where are we going with this? There was never any of that. And all of a sudden, the Bible talks about this work of conviction on our heart. Sometimes you'll feel a heaviness. Sometimes you'll say something is missing. There's going to be this desire where the Holy Spirit is prompting you, drawing you, and you're saying, I can't figure out. I don't know what this is. And I remember waking up in the middle of the night saying, there's something missing. Something is missing in my life. Something's missing in my heart. And I couldn't figure out what it was. And I would wake up in the middle of the night worried about it, fretting about it, not necessarily worried and scared of hell. That wasn't it. It was the fact that there was this empty void. Even as a 14-year-old teenager, I knew something was wrong. And so Easter Sunday that year, I remember the time, I remember the place. I sat by my mom, and I leaned over my mom, and I said, hey, I'm not saved. I know it. You know the hardest thing for me to overcome was the fact that I was a pastor's kid Person in the youth group, person who had been baptized, person who had preached messages, person that had gone out what we call soul winning or door knocking, who had taught Sunday school lessons, person that was involved in the church, and yet I didn't have it. I thought I knew, but I didn't know. I thought I had it, but I didn't. And I'm afraid too often we have been peddling an easy Christianity that, hey, you just do this, you just show up, and yet you is one. And that's not it. That's not it. I don't want to give anybody false hope this morning. I'm here to tell you there is an invitation that Jesus is inviting you. Jesus is calling, but it's got to be your decision. My mom, my dad couldn't make it for me. Nobody can make this decision for you. It's got to be your decision. And see, for too long, we've imposed these Christian values instead of inviting people to follow Jesus. You see, what you need is not a new revelation, but a new relationship. You see, I want you to understand, here's Nicodemus. He came because he wanted just some new information. He said, teach me something, master. I'm here to ask you some questions. Show me something. Tickle my ears. I want to be intellectually stimulated. And some people, that's where they come to church. Because they'll say that, you know what, when you get up there and you preach, it's kind of like, you know, kind of uh, self-help talk. And it's kind of peppy. And it's kind of encouraging. And I just, I feel motivated at my job. And I feel like I can just do more. And man, you talk about going to CrossFit. And that makes me... Kind of want to do at least hot yoga or something. You know, I mean, it's just, kind of, how many of you have ever heard of hot yoga? I said that. And, okay, all right, maybe you just missed the reference. I was like, maybe you don't get it or something. So, but you're like, I get motivated to like maybe kind of work out or eat one or two less cheeseburgers or something, you know. And as you're, you come and you're thinking, that's it. But 
That's not it. It's not about new information. It's about a relationship. And here Jesus is inviting this Pharisee in on a relationship. And you know why? Because the Pharisees, as we saw last week, they were in love with the commandments. They had added to the commandments. They loved the commandments. They were all about the commandments. And not just the first ten we read about in Exodus. They kept adding hundreds and hundreds. And by this time, they were up to over 600 commandments that they had added, that they were following. And if he's a leader, he had followed these to the T. They would count their steps. They'd make sure they did no exercise on the Sabbath day, which started at sun, uh, on Saturday, and it went until Saturday afternoon about 5.30 when the sun went down. That was the Sabbath or Shabbat, and they weren't even allowed to drag a chair across the room lest they be called plowing. They weren't allowed to do it. They kept the letter of the law. But here's the thing. They loved the commandments. They followed the commandments. But they missed the commander. They missed out on the one who gave them. The one who gave the greatest commandment. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. And the second commandment is like unto thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. You see, they had gotten so mixed up and just wanting new information. I'm afraid so many times we, we just come to church, just, hey, just give me new information. Just feed me. So I'm a Bible fathead and never taking that information and using it in a world that needs it. Never applying it to our lives. I certainly hope that the time that you've started attending this church that you're a better dad. I certainly hope in the time that you've been attending this church you're a better mom. I certainly hope in the time you've attended this church your marriage is better. I certainly hope in the time you've attended this church that you spend more time with God, not less. I hope that since you've attended this church you're more excited about telling people about Jesus, not less. I hope you're more enthusiastic about church, not less. You see, what are we doing here if you're not more? But so often what happens is we get complacent. And we start falling in love with just kind of the commandments. We miss out on the commander. We miss out on the one who it's all about. Imagine you never speaking to your spouse. How that relationship would go. It would suffer. Imagine you're in a dating relationship and you never called that boyfriend. Imagine how he would feel. Or you tell him, um, you know, we can't talk for a year. You know, see what he does. Maybe he'll stick around. Maybe not. You don't know. The relationship will suffer. I don't want us just to be the once a week Christians. Just that we show up on Sunday. We hear a little message in the theater. Afterward, we stick around, get some popcorn, watch a movie. I want us to take it and say, no, no, I'm not just here for revelation. I'm here for the relationship. And then notice this. The invitation is to follow a person, not a plan. You see, they love plan. They love this. They love the rules. And for some of you, you're like, just tell me what I have to do. Just tell me, lay it all out for me. And that's kind of what Jesus did. There's the passage in Luke where it talks about, I believe it's chapter 17, where there's the, uh, uh, the good Samaritan and a lawyer asks Jesus and says, hey, who is my neighbor? You're telling us to love my neighbor. So who is my neighbor? And so Jesus not only answers a question, but he shares a story and then he asks another question. And in the story, if you're familiar with it, a, Samar- uh, a, a Jewish man is on the way to Jericho and he's attacked by robbers. He's left half dead and naked and they've taken everything from him. And then three people, the Bible says, by chance, almost like, hey, at, like this guy's lucky, a priest walks by. And he, you know, in the story, everybody's thinking, okay, hey, the priest is going to help out this Jewish man who's been beaten and left half dead. And no, the priest walks on by. Next, a Levite walks by. And you would think, oh, the Levite, this is guy, this is where all the priests come through the line in the tribe of Levi. This is a good tribe. He'll, he'll be one to help out this man. 
And he goes by. Finally, a Samaritan comes by. And everybody, all the Jewish were thinking, no, 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 the Samaritan's not going to do anything. The Samaritan's going to spit on him, maybe kick him, maybe take whatever else he might have left. And then go on his way. But the Samaritan, the Bible says, takes him and gives him food and gives him wine and sets him on his own animal and takes him and then pays for his hotel for three days so he's taken care of. And then he says, hey, if that's not enough, when I'm back, I'll take care of you some more. And oftentimes we take that story to believe that we are to be a good Samaritan. Go out and find people and help them and serve them and love them. The problem was you and I can never be that good Samaritan. The good Samaritan in that story is not you and I. And if you think that story is all about the good Samaritan, you and I are supposed to be that, that's not what it's about. The good Samaritan is Jesus. He's the one that did that for you and I. When those you thought would do right didn't, Jesus will. The ones you think won't, that's when he will. Three days he took care of them. Who for three days was dead in the grave and then came back? Who's the one that nursed you, that took you in your broken, disgusting, sinful state? And God says, I'll take you. I'll pick you up. You see, I've noticed a lot of people want you to be better, but they don't want to help you get better. But Jesus says, I'll step into that situation. I'll get my hands messy. You're not the Samaritan. Jesus is. And in this passage, here we need to get our mind off of a plan and back onto the person of Jesus Christ. This whole passage, Jesus pointed himself. He uses an illustration. He says, hey, remember the children of Israel. There was some snakes that came into the camp, started biting everybody. People were sick, and Moses made a rod, and on that rod he put a brazen serpent. He put that in the middle of the camp, and he said, you don't have to touch it. You don't have to kneel to it. You don't have to give an offering to it. You don't have to pray to it. You just have to look and live. That's it. And then Jesus Later on in this gospel says, And I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men unto me. You see, Jesus is saying, it's all about me, Nicodemus. It's not about your religion. It's not about your attempt to get to God, because that's all religion is. Our failed attempt to get to God, and it's not going to work. You see, there's a lot of confusion about uh, what is a Christian. There's a lot of confusion about how to become a Christian. And it's only by Jesus. And see, Nicodemus, he had to come to that moment. He had to see that the interest wasn't enough. The invitation, he needed to take that to the next level. And Jesus was offering it there. You see, for too long, there have been so many Christians that have lived by the dogma. They're just kind of, this is what we do. This is what we do, do, do. Instead of understanding that it's about devotion, not dogma. It's about a devotion to Jesus Christ. But then I want you to understand, you see, what did this Pharisee do in this passage? How did he handle this? And I kept reading on to try to get some more information about Nicodemus and to try to study out this character even more. And I thought, did Nicodemus, does he make the decision to give his life to Jesus Christ, to surrender all and follow Jesus like the disciples who forsake their nets, their boats, their families, left it all to follow Jesus? What does Nicodemus do? And I read through the end of John chapter number three. And it's like a cliffhanger. It doesn't say. There's no mention. So I had to go from John chapter number three all the way to John chapter number 17. And if you have your Bible turned there, if you don't, I'll read it for you. Because I want you to understand something. Uh, Or John chapter number seven, excuse me, John seven. The Bible says this, all right? Now, after this scene unfolds, we don't hear what Nicodemus does. Jesus asks him a question, tells him, hey, you need to be saved. You need to put your faith and trust in me. I'm the only way. 
But here's what happens in John 7, verse 45. The Bible says, Then came the officers to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said unto them, Why have you not brought him? The officers answered, Never man spake like this. They're talking about Jesus. Then answered them the Pharisees, Are ye also deceived? How many of the rulers of the Pharisees believed on him? But this people who knoweth not the law are cursed. Verse 50, Nicodemus saith unto them, He that came to Jesus by night, being one of them, Doth our law judge any man before it hear him, and know what he doeth? Verse 52. They answered and said to him, Art thou also of Galilee? Search and look, for out of Galilee ariseth no prophet. You say, what happened there in that dialogue? I, I, I don't quite get it, you know, out of Gal- uh, Galilee, you know, is, does he have a shirt that says straight out of Galilee or something? I mean, basically, that's what they were asking him. And, and here's Nicodemus, and Nicodemus at this point, he kind of, a little bit of boldness kind of stands up in defense of Jesus. Like, hey, does our law condemn an innocent man? Hey, what does our law say about this? And then they kind of, to put, uh, to put Nicodemus out, to make him be quiet, they say, are you from Galilee? And that was an insult to him. Here's a man of wealth, of prominence, of position. And to say he's from Galilee, a nothing little town, a little nothing town, this was to say, hey, watch it. Your position might be in jeopardy if you keep going down this path. And I think this is where a lot of us stop. Because Nicodemus is interested. He had the invitation, but then here comes an interruption. And you and I, we're going to find that interruption. And you may be thinking, interruption, what do you mean? See, for too long, we've preached a Christianity that's been, don't you want to get out of hell? Don't you want to be in heaven one day? Don't you want all the joys and don't you want all the happiness? Don't you want to see your loved ones? And we're all thinking, yeah, I want that. Sure, why wouldn't anybody want that? And then they get saved and you never hear from them again. They, they don't grow and mature into followers of Jesus Christ. They just go off on their merry little way because they got the um, eternal fire insurance. And that's not what it's all about, to have a little fire insurance. You see, there was an interruption. You see, Nicodemus, he wanted to follow Jesus and he was interested in following Jesus but doesn't want his life to be interrupted for Jesus. And I'm afraid that's where too many times we find a lot of believers. And this is where we find out if it's actually real. This is where we find out, was it ever real to begin with? That now comes the bumps, now comes the bruises, now comes the moment where there's a little bit of testing. Were you ever really a Christ follower? Was it ever really real? I was preaching one time when I was about uh, 21 years old. I preached uh, across the country in these evangelistic crusades for a summer. And we'd host youth rallies all over. And I was talking to one pastor. And I said, hey, here's my plan. I'm going to hit salvation this night. I'm going to talk about things like sanctification on this night and Christian living. And then the last night, we're going to hit surrender. And all these kids need to get saved. And they're, once they got saved, they're going to grow. And once they grow, then we're gonna, we want them all to go be missionaries to Africa. Okay? And I'm, I'm going to preach surrender. All right? And this is what's going to happen. And the pastor said, wait a minute. And he said, how is salvation and surrender two different things? He said, I think you have a skewed vision of what salvation truly is. Because salvation, Jesus Christ paid a price for you. 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. And if he paid a price for you, he bought you. You're his, not yours. You don't surrender anything. 
And a lot of times we as Christians feel like, I got the fire insurance, I'm good, on our merry old way to do whatever we want. And we live like hell. And we think it's all good. And we're still Christian. I think you misinterpreted what Christianity is. I think you don't understand. That it's one and the same. Salvation and surrender, it's a two for one. It's not, hey, I I gave my life to Jesus Christ and I accepted him. And now later on, if I want to live for him, that's just kind of like, God, if if, if you're so lucky to have me. That's kind of the arrogance about it. But why a lot of people don't take that next step and really, really live for him is because they don't want their life to be interrupted by him. They don't want their life interrupted. They don't want their lifestyle interrupted. They don't want their time interrupted. They don't want their faith interrupted. We want to be the silent Christian. We, when people ask us we're a Christian, we always do this. We always say, yes, but, as if we got to preface it. Like, I'm not crazy or anything. I don't go to church all the time. Matter of fact, some days I just skip just so that pastor doesn't get too count and set on me. I don't want him to think I'm some holy roller or something. So every once in a while, I just kind of play hooky just, just to kind of throw him off a little bit because I'm not that good. I don't want him thinking I'm all, you know, like perfect or something. Maybe he'll ask me to like pray in service or something. We don't want none of that. I don't want to be called on to do any ministry stuff. I don't think you understand what salvation is. I think you've missed it. And see here, Nicodemus had to make the decision. Wait a minute. For me to be a follower, I can't be a secret admirer. And I think a lot of times we say, I'll follow Jesus, but I want to I be a secret admirer. I don't want anybody to know about it. The Bible, all throughout the Gospels, Jesus said, hey, don't hide your light under anything. The Bible says we are to be like a city set on a hill. That everybody around that's lost and looking for light, looking for hope, looking for change, looking for transformation, that they see that light. And all they know, they say, I I see darkness everywhere, but there's that light. I'm going to follow that light. There's that one person at my work, and there's something different about them. There's that one person at my school that's different. Amongst all the darkness, I'm just going to that light. I'm just going to follow that light, and I hope it's not a bug zap or a train. I'm just going to follow it, and I'm just going to go after it, and I'm just going to hope and see what God does and God will do something awesome as we say, you know what? I'm just going to be that light. That's all we're called to be. And as we're that light, we just lift up Jesus and Jesus draws these people. You see, there's people in this church that the reason you're here is because somebody was a light for you. Somebody just lifted themselves, not themselves up, they lifted Jesus up and you just came. You just saw it. You just heard about it because somebody said, hey, I'm just going to be different. I'm going to be that light. And it's because somebody understood that, hey, When I gave my life to Jesus, I was his. I'm all his. Not 50%. He got all of me. Not a part of me. You ever gone to a car dealership and you buy the car and they hand you your steering wheel? Say, come back in three months and you can have a tire. Come back in a year and maybe you can have a bumper. Come back in three years and maybe you'll get an engine. Hey, come back when I'm 75 and retired and I'll give you the rest of this car. How can we do that with our lives, though? Hey, when I'm retired, God, I'll have all this time to serve you. Just think about that. I'll be old and broken down, but hey, you can have what's left of me. Not the best of me. We totally miss salvation because there's this interruption. And here there are so many times I meet Christians and I'm thinking, you're not really a Christian. Nothing's changed. You don't want to change. You just want fire insurance. That's it. I don't think you understand the gospel. 
You see, Jesus did not save you from hell. He saved you for himself. He saved you for himself. When I married my wife, my father-in-law saved her for me. She and I were virgins when we got married. She was saved for me. Stop looking at it like, oh, great, I'm just a Christian. That's all it is. I got saved from hell. No, no, no. You're saved to God, the creator of the universe, the one who loves you, the one who died for you, the one that would do anything for you, and he proved it on a cross called Calvary. He's the one who says, I saved you for me. That's what he did. And so many times we walk around like, oh, great, I'm a Christian. That means I have no fun. Can't do nothing. I can only cuss when I'm mad. Oh, stinks to be me. Woe is me. I just call you Eeyore, man. Like, that's your attitude. Please go to a different theater on Sunday mornings. Don't come over here with that attitude. Come here thinking, God changed my life. I'm in love with Jesus. He did something. He changed me. He washed me. He cleansed me. I'm not the same. There's a transformation that has taken place. And I'm in love with him. And that's where we want to tell others about him. So is Jesus one of many or is he your one and only? Imagine this. Imagine this. I'm walking down the wedding aisle and there is Jane. Actually, she walked down. I was already up there and I was standing there watching her walk down the aisle. But imagine this. This didn't happen. Okay. And if it did, you can fire me. Okay. But imagine as she's walking down the aisle, I look over at the bridesmaid and I start doing this. What you doing later? It's ridiculous, right? What do you think she would have done? Drop kick me for Jesus is what she would have done. You know, she would have taken me out and telling you, don't mess around with Filipino. You think Rhonda Rosie is messing, she'll mess you up? No, no, no. You have nothing compared to a Filipino. So understand that. We, we understand that terminology. We get that. But when it comes to God, you don't, have, you don't have a stone idol in your backyard. Some of you, your idol's in the garage. And it's got a V8. Some of you, 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 your idol is your 401k. Some of you, your idol is this job. I know we got real and it's uncomfortable. Just bear with me. It's okay, it's church. It'll be all right. It hurts for a minute, all right? And then it's over. But this is what we do. Jesus isn't our one and only. He's our one of many. We try to squeeze him in on the calendar. We open up our calendar. Hmm, does God fit? Nope. All right, too bad, God. Look at the calendar. Um, got something going on every Sunday. Oh, sorry, God. I'll see you next month. Oh, look at that. The holidays are coming. Oh, it's not going to work out. Oh, football, God. Oh, sorry. I'll see you next year. And we just do that. And we think it's all good. Look, I, I don't care what church you go to. I really don't. I want you to come here. I just want you to be in church. But more than that, I just want you to be in love with Jesus. That's what I'm called to do. Help other people fall in love with Jesus. You see, I'm not the hero of your story. I'm not. I'm just the guide, the shepherd. That's me. To help you just say, come on, you could do it. Jesus loves you. He'll change you. Let him try. Let him try. Nicodemus, let him try. There's going to be some interruptions. There's going to be some bumps. There's going to be some things. But don't just make Jesus your your one of many. Make him your one and only. There's so much more we need to say. 
I want you to understand this lastly. A Jesus that doesn't challenge you doesn't change you. See, here's Nicodemus. He's being challenged on all fronts. And Jesus even calls him out on it. He even says, hey, how is it that you being a master of Israel doesn't know these things? How is it that you've missed it? Because Jesus is talking about water. He's talking about the wind. He's talking about the serpent. He's talking about all things that are related to this custom, this guy's religion. And he was missing the picture. It was Jesus. He's saying, how can you be a master and not know this? How can you grow up in church and miss Jesus? How can you be around Christians and miss it? It's time to have the DTR talk and say, hey, is this mama's religion? Is this papa's religion? Whose is this? Because if it's mine, I'm all in or I'm all out. Like I'm not going to half this thing anymore. It's frustrating when we try to half anything. It's frustrating when you're saying, hey, I'm trying to live like Jesus on Sunday. But then, man, those other six days, I just kind of do whatever I want. And how come I just hate life? The Bible talks about a divided man is unstable in all his ways. There's something missing. There's a disconnect. You see, Jesus says, I'm going to challenge you, but that's the only way to change you. We've got weights at home. My wife has got these cute little pink weights. They they say two and a half on them. And then I've got my 35 dumbbells, 35-pound dumbbells. Which ones do you think I'd rather use? How many said the 35? A few of you. The reality is I'd rather use hers. Truth be told, I'd rather use hers. It's lighter. It's easier. Which one's going to bring any change? The heavier. You see, Jesus is going to do some stuff. He's going he's to challenge you on some things. He's going to challenge our behavior. He's going to challenge our lifestyle. He's going to challenge things in us that's going to, that's going to break things away. He's going to do it. I don't have to get up here and say, you did this wrong. You did that wrong. And man, you need to dress like this, act like I don't need to do any of that. If I just keep pointing and pushing you to Jesus, he'll do it. He'll start to finesse things. He'll start to massage things. He'll start to guide you. He'll start to point you in the direction. He'll push you to where you need to be. And some of you hate the pressure that you're under right now. You can't wait to get out from under it. And as soon as you're out from under the pressure, you go out and do whatever you want instead of understanding that this pressure has brought you to this moment. So the pressure is, in fact, actually a good thing. Instead of running from the pressure, see that the pressure reveals a purpose and reveals God's power. That pressure is the best thing for you. People have often asked, why do you challenge yourself? Why do you push yourself hard? Because I'm the type, if I don't have any challenges, I go so lazy and so complacent, it's not even funny. Like when Lost came out, I didn't see it until it was like way past. I could binge watch a couple seasons in a week or two of vacation. It's ridiculous, all right? And so I constantly need that challenge. I understand those things about myself, so I've got to constantly be challenging and pushing myself. I constantly need that pressure. And for some of you, you're saying in your Christian life, you don't like the trials. You don't like the pain that you're under, but it's bringing you here. It's bringing you back to your Bible. It's bringing you back to prayer. How can that be a bad thing? How can that interruption be bad? So the challenge is this. What is the DTR? Have you had that? Have you had that moment? But the question is, did Nicodemus ever accept the invitation? Did he ever accept it? We don't have time, but in John 19, toward the end of the gospel, here's what it says. Jesus Christ has been crucified. They've taken him down off the cross. And verse 
39 of chapter 19, the Bible says, And there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night, and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about an hundred pound weight. Then took they the body of Jesus, and wound it in linen clothes with the spices, as the manner of the Jews is to bury. None of the disciples were there to bury the body, or even asking for the body. They were afraid for their lives. They were afraid that, hey, they would be the next ones up on the cross. But who shows up? Nicodemus. He said, okay, I had some interest. There was an invitation. There were some interruptions, but I'm all in. And he takes that next step. A hundred pounds worth of myrrh and spices and aloes. This is so costly. This is so expensive. Remember in the passage where the Bible says the woman took just a little bottle of spikenard and it was over a year's wage? Just a little bit? He brought a hundred pounds of it. So you're telling me over a hundred years worth of wages? Nicodemus was very wealthy. And he brought this wealth and he said, I'm going to look after the body of Jesus. He said, you know what? Yeah, life's going to be some interruptions. I tried to study more and find out whatever happened to the character of Nicodemus. The Bible doesn't say anything after this, but history tells us that Nicodemus was martyred for his faith, that he gave all. He was willing to die for. So here's a man who said, hey, I've had that conversation. We've defined the relationship. I know where I'm at. Have you ever had that moment? Some of you may be thinking, my notes are missing something. Let me go back up. You see, if you're just there and you're saying, I'm interested, I want you to take some action. Take some action this morning. And at the sound of an invitation, I want you to accept. Don't just think you're a Christian. Don't just say, yeah, I'm okay. I'm good. Got some, you know, I think I am. I I think that happened one time. If you don't know what happened, it probably didn't. I'm not trying to create doubt. I'm saying, hey, this is too big a thing to just willy-nilly, to just kind of, I hope so. You can know. 1 John chapter number 5, verse number 13, that you may know that you have eternal life. It's something you can know. And then you say, what do I do about the interruptions? Understand those interruptions are going to lead you to the greatest adventure of your life. Greatest adventure. Let's all stand.